Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast episode number 75. Really, we just need voices to lend to this. We need LGBTQ voices. We need indigenous voices. We need black and other persons of colors voices. We need both men and women and non-binary voices. We need different cultural voices, different language voices. We need all of this to make it the best organization it can be. And the more voices that are behind this and support it, and the more voices that tell us what they want, the better we can make it. Welcome to the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast, the podcast dedicated to inspiring dancers worldwide whose hearts have been touched by music and dance. The universal language of dance and music is spoken by many of us throughout the world. We want to motivate the dancer in you by sharing stories, insights, and ideas to enhance your journey. Join us now with your host, Charles Ogar. Hello, hello, everyone. This is Charles with the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast coming at you with another episode. And I guess it isn't a surprise that our guest is Larry again. Um, I've, so I'm in, I've been in the process of collecting all of the podcasts and reviewing them because I'm going to be switching hosts for the Neo Kizuma website and that's where the podcasts currently reside. And so I think we're at like six or seven podcast episodes or something like that. So it's pretty awesome. Uh, you're definitely in the first spot for the most podcasts with me on the show. So welcome back again, Laura. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. And for this particular podcast, we do have a agenda slash, I guess, helping kind of spread the word of what we feel is necessary for a next move, but not just for particular dancing, but just dancings in general. Yeah. And if you've been a part of social media, Recently in the dance scene, um, you may have noticed that there have been some issues reported of sexual misconduct. And it just seems to be the time where like all of the murk from different scenes and issues in society tend to be tend to be drifting up to the top. And this was one of those. And I know Laura and I, well, I don't know why I'm speaking to you in third person. I know you and I, we've talked about issues before in the past over the years, like, oh, nope, this came out and now we have to handle this and like, are we going to ban him? And then all that kind of stuff. And yeah, it gets a little crazy to figure out like what can be done to kind of protect the members of the dance community as far as the attendees at these bigger events, but even from a local level. And then also how to keep track of these reports as they come up. Yeah, I think all of those have been very common problems across scenes. Uh, Every scene from Lindy Hop to Brazilian Zouk to Kizomba has had some form of their own reckoning, either with sexual harassment or or assault, uh, with sexism or racism, uh, homophobia, ableism. And this has a lot to do with the fact that we're a global community as opposed to a local one. Uh, Even though there are local communities out there, dance as a whole is very much international, which makes it very hard to govern from a professional perspective. And the other thing is that unlike most professions that deal very closely with the body and close contact, dance is not regulated at all. So that creates somewhat of a problem where we have very poor mechanisms for ensuring professionalism, not from a who's teaching what perspective necessarily. Uh, I think sometimes people have different opinions on what is or is not correct, but Mm -hmm. from a general professionalism perspective, what is required uh, in terms of 
being on time, appropriate behavior, uh, when you are and aren't on the job, this type of thing. And I think the dance scene as a whole can really, really benefit from clarity and support in that way. Yes, definitely. And me, myself, having been a social dancer who then became an instructor, who then became a local instructor, and then to international instructor to then uh, organizer that grows into like a big event organizer. Like this is not something that I had in mind of like all of the responsibility that comes along with it, you know? And I remember for last year, we were able to talk to some other people in other dance scenes like the fusion and blues scene and get them to help us create a safe space policy. And I had a friend uh, whose name is Kate. She's been on the podcast as well. I will link her podcast about creating safer spaces in the dance community podcast in the show notes. Um, But she was able to help out actually come up with an action plan of like what to happen if something happens at the festival uh, where there's a harassment issue or assault issue or anything like that. And Going through that process, I was really, really, really like surprised about like, like almost like you have to go through mock scenarios, you know, and like, well, okay, is the person coming forward? Do they need to call the ambulance? Are they okay? Are they distraught? Do they want to be anonymous? Where does the conversation even take place? Uh, What kind of sanctions need to be in place? How do you go and approach the other person? And and then anonymous, it could be anonymous. It could be somebody coming for you forward in person. And it's just like, I don't know, we did the safe space policy and I was just kind of like keeping my fingers crossed the whole event, hoping that nothing would happen. And luckily nothing serious was reported, but that's not always the case. And it was just kind of like an insurance of like, Hey, I'm hoping that nothing is going bad is going to happen. But like, this is not something that I train for. This is not something I'm skilled in or I don't even know where to get training to like handle these kind of sensitive issues. And so there's definitely I can definitely relate to what you were saying about like being poorly equipped to handle these kind of situations that really are necessary to like protect the community. And that's from an event level. But obviously it could be a local studio. It could be a local instructor. There's, there's so many ramifications that how the dance scene operates from like your weekly class to your international Congress or festival. Exactly. And I think that brings up a very uh, important point as well regarding the expectations that the community has of individual organizers dealing with people who they may be very, very close friends with and may have a very close relationship with. Um, Organizers and dancers, by and large, are not trained in anything remotely related to this. I'm an exception in some ways in that I work in governance and I work uh, and I've been trained as a lawyer. So I have at least some background into good governance, but most do not. And most of our professionals are really talented dancers. That doesn't make them experts in equity. That doesn't make them experts in business. That doesn't give them any of those tools that we expect for them to intrinsically be able to handle. So most organizers, it's, it's great that you have a code of conduct. And I'm not saying you specifically, I'm saying you in the general. But for most organizers, they don't actually know what to do if they have to act on it. Because Mm -hmm. someone comes forward, you have a he said, she said, there's probably not going to be evidence. You're in the middle of running an event that's running almost 24 hours a day. Maybe you have a volunteer who you trust who has training in this, but they're not the event organizer. So how, how do we expect an organizer to be able to functionally handle this, especially when the person in question is very likely a friend, a colleague, someone they've known for a very long time and if it's in the case of another professional or someone who has some notoriety in the scene we're we're putting them in a very difficult position and it's very easy to say from the outside oh you should know exactly how to handle this but it's just not that clear and so this brings up kind of two main needs one is education for people who are within the scene 
to understand how to do better in their own behavior, in their own conduct, uh, whether that is the type of language they use in addressing leaders and followers to how they can use uh, the, the topics in class to reduce problems down the line on a community level, all the way up to a support system that can actually manage complaints in a little bit of a more fair and self-regulatory manner that takes a lot of that pressure off of organizers and teachers where they have something that they can kind of go to and say, okay, you know what? We trust this um, organization. We respect their decision. And it gives them something to rely on so that they're not out in the field alone trying to manage these impossible situations. Definitely. And when I was hearing you speak and you mentioned the the people that are looking from the outside and are and looking up to the dance and quote unquote leaders to be able to handle these very serious situations that could potentially arise. It's interesting because you, there's not like a, an oath or a training or something like that, that we kind of, you, you kind of happen to into the role of a dance leader by default, you know, just because you're an instructor, but just because you're a talented dancer or an instructor doesn't mean that you are equipped to handle issues of diversity, inclusion, gender pronouns. And we have issues of Black Lives Matter coming up. We're in the middle of the pandemic. And so now we have to handle public health. And then all of these sexual misconduct issues like these are each like huge there's professionals that specialize in each of these fields on their own. So to be able to have like, Hey, I need to be an event organizer. I need to be an instructor. I need to be a good dancer. And then on top of that, I need to be able to operate at this high professional level across different fields. It's a lot, especially when there's no resources available, you know? And so one of the ideas that I would like to, I guess, put out there on this podcast before we get into the, talk about the association is that the the power or this pedestal that you put some event organizers and instructors on I wonder what that pedestal is made out of sometimes you know like because there's really no barrier or it's a low barrier to even get started as an instructor if you have like some above average dance skill and a little bit of charisma, like you could start a weekly class and just pay for studio space and convince some people to come out to your class. And then if you know the organizer, you can end up teaching at festivals, but it's just very like, like you said, unregulated. So since we have this unregulated kind of foundation, when shit hits the fan, then it's like, oh, what's going on here? Then all of that kind of gets exposed a little bit, you know? Yeah, that's really one of the reasons that like I've been sitting on this idea for a long time. But right now, between the the pandemic having shut everything down and multiple scenes kind of having their own things come to light, it seems like the ideal time to put something in place that gives that support and also gives that sense of professionalism that people can rely on. For sure. And I really love the idea of an international and I guess inter social dance scene association because there is a little bit of overlap between certain dance scenes. Yeah. Uh, if there's a sexual assault issue that comes up from somebody that's in a particular dance scene, but then gets hired from an organizer who's more into another scene, like what is the overall like overarching entity that could potentially exist to like let the organizer know like, Hey, these are things that are going on or keeping track of these, you know? Cause like, I mean, in the dancing, you see these big issues that pop up on Facebook and then like after a month or two, it just kind of like kind of loses steam and then people just go back to normal. But like what happens if you're an organizer who started like a year after that became a huge thing, like who's keeping track of who's hiring who and all that kind of stuff, you know? So I feel like in that regard, it will be awesome. And then also for it to be international because a lot of our dance professionals in the upper tier that are traveling across different continents uh, on a monthly basis sometimes, yeah? Like how do you keep everybody in the loop of like what's happening 
that's not even potentially your home country, you know? So I feel like this association sounds really, really good. And I feel like it's time for it to be needed because like, if you take a look at yoga or massage therapy or any other professional where there is contact, there's so many more regulations, there's ethics, there's a code of conduct and things like that. And so if we're going to have this professional realm where we are touching other people in in the scope of dance, then I feel like some of those same, I guess, I don't know if rules is the best word, but some of those same guidelines can definitely help us prevent some of these things from happening. And then if they do happen, like just have the training and the, I guess, the, the higher power that will be in place to kind of like keep track of these things. And I know you've been putting in a lot of work towards it as well. And this is not a a simple thing to put together. And I also know that you are trying to spread the word. And a lot of people are trying to spread the word across multiple dance communities. So that was kind of the inspiration for this podcast to let people know like, hey, this is what's going on because you can read the blog and still come away with a lot of questions as I did. So we'll go through and I'll let you talk about what the Dance Association is and what goals it has of tackling. And obviously there's going to be phases. And I guess we could even talk about questions that I've gotten and questions that you've gotten. And we can kind of maybe do like a little bit of FAQ for some people who are interested. For sure. I can definitely start with an overview. Uh, So the model that I'm working off of for creating a professional social dance association is based on other professions like in many places, massage therapy, where it is a voluntary system uh, that is not governed in law. So it is not a court. It is not a formalized tribunal. It is a voluntary association where instructors, organizers, DJs, um, other professionals are able to join because they agree with and want to uphold the principles the organization stands for. And so this does a couple things is one, it means there's no law or anything that can force people to be part of the association or they won't be able to teach. The second is it allows people in the community to identify which teachers or organizers do value these things and are willing and confident enough in their own behavior to actually be part of an organization that does have standards for conduct uh, because teachers who are not willing to be part of an organization that does oversee behavior and does manage complaints. uh, That to me does say something in some cases about their confidence in how their behavior will be perceived. Um, In terms of a complaints mechanism, it would not be a court It does not have findings of guilt or innocence. Uh, It is an education and membership-based system, which basically means that depending on patterns of behavior uh, or severity of conduct or agreed upon statements or what may be most likely to have occurred, the organization can either choose whether an individual needs to do reflection or education, whether they need to be on probation, have a membership suspension or a membership revocation. So there will never be a court finding out of such a a complaints-based tribunal. There will never be a community ban. The the mandate of the organization is solely about how much the person actually meshes with those values and whether we believe that they are a person who would represent the, the organization. Of course, these things right now are my vision for what it would look like. Uh, But part of the early stages of creating an organization like this is to make sure it does reflect what the community wants as well. There are legal limitations to what an association can do. So those are something that I'm bearing in mind coming from my background. Uh, But I really do believe just having that system in place will really help to provide a framework that people can use. And the other part of this is that such an organization can also provide training materials and education, uh, especially because it is a global community with so many intersecting concerns for how professionals can do better in their own individual life. Definitely. 
And I feel like that's going to be a really awesome idea. And I love the fact that it is including the bits about training and education, because like I mentioned before, like most dance instructors just kind of like started, like if I go through and remember my podcasts for different guests that I've had on the show who are international instructors from different dance scenes, like there's no test. You don't go to a university and, and graduate from dance or anything like that. It's a little bit more just kind of like based on popularity and how people like your dancing and your teaching and things like that. And just opportunities that you kind of can grow in, you know? And I feel like this would be really, really awesome to provide some professional context in that regard. One question that came up when I was reading the blog and I was also talking to some friends and things like that would be, like you mentioned before, like there's restrictions on legalities and things like that. So if there is a list of who's a member and who's not a member, how are those people recognized? And also as dance leaders and event organizers and all that kind of stuff, can you talk a little bit about the limitations of legality? You know, uh, we've seen some serious like multiple sexual assault cases come up and I know one of the questions from some people were, why don't they go to the police or something like that, you know? Yeah, sure. Um, there are serious legal limitations with any organization that isn't grounded in legislation. So the fact is, the dance community can never actually create its own court system. This is just impossible. Um, Courts are the only ones that can determine if someone is legally guilty of a criminal offense or a civil offense. And that goes for any regulated profession, whether it's doctors, lawyers, whatever. Um, the second limitation is based on risks surrounding defamation and the libel. And where this is a little bit different is that this is not about calling out and listing perpetrators. It's about identifying and supporting those who have a dedication to doing better. And by focusing on the people who are committed to doing better rather than the people who are doing badly, you are upholding good examples rather than opening yourself up to risks of naming the people we don't want present. Um, and the additional thing with that is if someone who is a part of the organization does something that goes against the code of conduct and it gets brought up in a complaint, that doesn't mean that the details of every complaint need to be public. And it doesn't mean that such a, an organization would have to make a finding of guilt. You can make a finding of, okay, we think it may be more likely than not that something happened here. That's, that's an allowable finding. And that's true at more than just... Uh, this committee. That's true whether it's the College of Physicians and Surgeons where uh, doctors are going through a complaints process to lawyers to any other um, non-court finding, essentially. Um, and it's a very appropriate thing to put someone on probation or put a notation on a public member profile. But most importantly, that person has agreed to be bound by this organization. It's a voluntary membership. So becoming part of the organization necessarily means that you are consenting to the complaints process. Mm -hmm. And that is where the really, really big difference comes between just random lists of accusations and publishing names of bad people, quote unquote, um, versus a voluntary organization where people are consenting to uh, governance. Another question that came to mind would be if you have an event organizer and you have instructors that are all within this association and an organizer wants to double check and see if the artists that he has hired have any bad records and they're both members of the association, would that be something that the organizer would have access to? And I guess you said also it's not going to be shared publicly, but like what about within the ranks of the of the association? So that's something that information finding has to kind of tell us 
what kind of model people would want and be comfortable with. Um, I know that on the part of instructors, there is some fear. Okay, well, what if angry students complain about strange problems? Like they're saying bad things about my studio and that's not true. Is that now going to be public knowledge just because they're angry that I wouldn't give them a refund on a class they missed? Mm-hmm. Like people have these concerns and we have to get a sense from responses from not only social dancers, but organizers, teachers, DJs, everyone involved in our community on what they would want from such an organization. And then we have to look at, okay, is what people want in terms of transparency on complaints legally okay for us to do? And is it going to balance between the interests of all of the people involved in this organization? So it may be that there's a certain level of transparency where no details are necessarily given, but if someone has a severe enough complaint that they were put on probation or where it's a note, they might have a note that says um, on probation for Mm. administrative reasons, like not paying um, a teacher or something like that versus on probation for behavioral reasons, which would be, um, how they were, were treating students or others. Um, so there's, there's varying levels of transparency and part of having a good organization that really represents the community is hearing all of the voices and all of the opinions on what it should look like to figure out what it is that will best do the job for our community. And I can't do that based on my impulses. I need that input from others and the people I'm working with need that input from others. Definitely. Another question that was in my mind as well was we mentioned like an organizer who wanted to check the quote unquote background of a particular instructor. And I think something that you're also trying to initiate is the vice versa of that situation. Let's say you have an organizer that's not paying people or that could be also be engaging in non-professional behavior. That could also be something that could protect the artist as well to make sure that they are not subject to not getting paid or not following through with arrangements and, and things of that nature. Correct. Absolutely. So professionalism has several faces. One is behavioral, uh, which includes things like um, how they treat people and how they behave. But there's also professionalism in terms of payment, timeliness, professionalism on that more traditional uh, sense. And then there's also professionalism in moving towards um, a good and inclusive Uh, atmosphere, which is kind of a a third and more difficult kind of systemic uh, approach to professionalism. And I think that artists really can benefit from having an organization that they have a good sense of whether the organizer that they're working with is reliable. If they tell me, oh, we'll pay you on the last night of the event, do I need to be worried that I'm not going to be paid because this person has had their membership revoked or like, do I have a way that I can actually like say, look, this person hasn't paid me. And so these, these things also help artists and it gives negotiating power to artists to say like, look, I know you don't have a good history of paying people. And I know you're not going to reimburse me for my airfare. I need you to buy it up front because you have this track record. Mm -hmm. And so it it gives more bargaining power there. And I think also having professionalism like this can also help both artists and organizers understand the business relationship a little bit better, especially newer or more junior organizers and artists where Mm -hmm. they don't know how to negotiate. They don't know what they should be able to expect in terms of fair treatment. And it, it can help them with that. And it can help social dancers understand and identify when a teacher isn't doing something that's quite right and when something is versus is not appropriate. Definitely. There's, there's just so many ramifications, you know, like is this person a social dancer? Are they a local instructor? Are they a studio owner? 
are they an artist that's local or do they just travel within a particular country versus an international org organizer or instructor? And um, cultures also vary. Um, if you're from a particular country, like um, you're different, the way that you're raised might be different, like around touch or certain things as well. So I think helping like give a, a standard to uphold with that professionalism and things like that would just help things be a little bit more unified in that front professionally, like across the, the dance scene internationally. I think that'd be really, really awesome. Yeah, we're, we're really excited about it and we've been working hard on it. Um, one thing that you did mention is the international aspect. And this is one of the most challenging things for us is that right now we have really good feedback from a lot of North Americans uh, across West Coast Swing, Kizomba and Brazilian Zouk right now. We want to get more from Salsa and Bachata because we'd love to have them as part of this as well. Um, but we have much less input from people in Europe, Asia, Australia, Africa, and some parts of South America. And part of this is because um, we don't necessarily know the languages to reach certain populations. And so mm -hmm. if there's anyone listening who knows how to do translation work and can help us uh, translate what we're writing so it can reach more people that's amazing but also just outreaching to people you may know in those other regions and saying hey share with your communities like we want it to represent all of these cultures not just a north american view on what is or is not appropriate because things do differ and the only way we can do that as north americans making an association is if the people who are involved in the conversation are not only north american Definitely. So you were mentioning things that you need help with. And I really love this initiative. I think that it's time. I think we have seen too many issues come up. I think there's been too many instances where the issues just kind of get swept under the rug and forgotten in two months. I also see the lack of training and just education for dancers to be able to act better for organizers and things like that. So I want to support you and I'm pretty sure some other people listening to the podcast want to contribute. One of the ways you mentioned was helping out with translation to be able to get more communities involved. I know my friend who is in Argentina now helped us translate the blog into Spanish. And so that'll be really, really awesome. And maybe we can get some buy-in from that particular crowd and what others, what are some other things? What are some other obstacles and barriers that you need help with that we can kind of like reach out to the community of whoever's listening to the podcast now to, to help out with? Well, the biggest, the biggest help is honestly sharing and advocating for it. Um, because people click on and respond to things that their friends touch and that their students touch and that their teachers touch. So we need engagement from international artists who know and understand that there's a need for professionalism and want to support something. We need engagement from people who are doing their own small initiatives so that those smaller initiatives can get more purchase and can be part of a larger movement and can maybe support something that's a little bit bigger because these people are already passionate about it. We need local instructors who and organizers who, who want that support from a community level. And we need social dancers who want to see and want to show the world that our professionals can be trusted at, as professionals. And we need all of these people to be sharing it, engaging with it. And that's honestly the biggest help. It takes like maybe five minutes to share it with a nice little blurb. It takes maybe 20 minutes of time to fill out the, the longer survey that we have. And if that's all the engagement somebody wants to do with it, that's fine. If somebody wants to be more involved, there's spaces on the questionnaire to kind of detail that and tell us a little bit more about how someone wants to get involved or they can reach out for me directly. Uh, I know a few people, included your, including yourself, have offered to help with things like graphics and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, we're, we're not quite at that point yet. But really, we just need 
voices to lend to this. We need LGBTQ voices. We need indigenous voices. We need black and other persons of colors voices. We need both men and women and non-binary voices. We need different cultural voices, different language voices. We need all of this to make it the best organization it can be. And the more voices that are behind this and support it, and the more voices that tell us what they want, the better we can make it. And I'm not judging when these surveys come in on like, oh, are they being appropriate with it? No, I want to hear what you think, whether you're someone who's like, you know what, I don't think we should be regulating anything because people should be able to do what they want. And I have concerns that this organization is going to be a gatekeeper to professional um, accreditation. That's a valid concern say it. Or if you're someone who's like, you know what, I want every single complaint public and I want people insta banned, tell us. It doesn't mean that that's what the organization is ultimately going to look like in its final form. But we want to get a pulse where people's natural instincts are on this. What do they want it to do? What do they want to see come out of it? And then we can use that to see okay, what is the community's appetite for this? What are the concerns? Because even if it doesn't reflect what someone initially thought, maybe because they tell us their concerns, we're able to create a system that addresses those concerns, but still also helps to meet somebody else's needs. We can't do that without voices. Definitely. So we just need voices from all different levels of the dancing to give their input to help out. Yeah. Yes. Share it and engage with it. And that's the most that I can ask for from anyone who's listening or sees it online. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure how long it's been since you've put out the blog and I'm not sure how many people have actually responded, but are you looking for like, double what you've gotten so far, more or less, or is it more of a geographic issue? I would love as many voices as possible. Um, I know that right now we do have more voices from certain North American demographics. Um, There are still, there's still quite a bit of underrepresentation from some demographics, including indigenous um, geographical is a big one. Um, most of our responses are North American. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a pretty good response rate from both uh, women and from people of color, excluding indigenous peoples. Um, but even with that, we want more of those voices because it helps us have better data. Um, also, we would love to hear more voices from people who are older or who are disabled or differently abled who are interacting with these communities where maybe there's a way that some of what we're doing can address some of the barriers that they have to interacting with the community as well. Awesome. And the call to action is for them to go to the blog, which I'm going to list in the show notes of this podcast. So, And there at the bottom of that particular blog, there is a link to a Google form that they can fill out, correct? There is a link there. They can either share the form directly or they can link to the blog or they can do both. Um, But share it, tell people why why you're excited about it and why they should get involved. And that really goes a long way. We're all sharing things about our opinions on masks and COVID and what's going on in our communities. This post, I think can really actually make a tangible difference to a lot of things. And I would love to see it get the same uptake that I see many memes uh, (laughs) right now. And I would honestly love to see some of the people who consider themselves leaders um, against unprofessional conduct get really involved with this because sometimes I see them posting about it and really excited, but I would love to see them on board with this as well so that we can kind of pool our efforts and push together for a common cause. Mm-hmm. And as far as like your project oversight of this initiative, uh, how much longer are you going to be keeping the form up to take responses or is it going to be an ongoing thing or what's your, what's your current viewpoint on that? 
So I will probably keep it open for a long period of time, but that doesn't necessarily mean that all opinions from now until forever will be included in an initial analysis. Um, so what I'm kind of waiting for, for the most part, is enough engagement from the underrepresented um, groups right now that I can actually use good data. Mm-hmm. That, that's my main benchmark. I would have loved for that to have been before August. I really want to get it going by end of August, early September. Okay. Um, awesome. But honestly, the, the sooner that this can get going, the faster we can get it up and running. And I think it would be amazing if this was fully formed by 2021 so that when we leave uh, COVID shutdowns and when we are back to our communities, that it can be in place with the uptake from professionals to actually make it an effective body starting from when we're able to come back to social dancing. Definitely. So that's awesome. So if you guys are listening to the podcast, uh, definitely look into it. If you filled out the form, share it. Uh, You can share it again and just kind of keep making noise about it because I think this is going to be one of the things that really is going to make a difference in our dance scene at large. And if we just continue the way that we've been going and we're just going to keep experiencing what we've been experiencing with all of these unnecessary issues coming up. Yeah. But if we can equip ourselves with better knowledge, better education, better training, higher levels of professionalism across the board. So West Coast Swing, Kizomba, Zouk, Salsa Bachata, just all those, all of the social dances that we know that are international uh, conglomerates now for entertainment and things of that nature. I think it would be awesome if we can come together and form this body before we start to reopen up again to kind of create a safer environment for each person that is part of the dancing. I couldn't agree with you more. Mm-hmm. Um, was there anything else you wanted to share about the podcast, Laura? I just wanted to do a podcast episode with you to help you kind of fan the flames a little bit of what you're doing. And I appreciate you coming on and, and sharing a little bit of the vision because it is a different, a little bit different than reading a blog, hearing you talk about it and things like that. Um, I'm not sure if you have anything else you'd like to say before we, we end the podcast. Um, I would just say that if you are unclear on what this means, I know sometimes organizations like this, and especially when they get into the weeds of what is or is not legally binding and all of this stuff, it can be confusing. And if you have concerns or you want more questions answered, please let me know. You can reach out to me on Facebook or by email. I'm here to answer questions. Um, If you want your teachers to get involved, bug your teachers, bug the artists that you really love and appreciate and get them to to put their voices behind it. Um, Because the the more help we get from that, if that means that you need more questions answered, I'm there to help. If it means that you want to tell me what you're concerned about, please do. Whether it's in the form or directly to me, please just reach out and get involved and that's the most i can ask well i hope that this helps fan the flames more for the initiative of what's going on and i hope that we get more people signed up so that way we can really create this association and so i'll continue to do what i can to use the platforms i have to spread the message and I thank you again, Laura, for coming on again as another guest of the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you for checking out the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast today. Be sure to check out neokizomba.com for links to everything that we chatted about today, as well as some awesome free resources to enhance your Kizomba journey. <laughs> you want to Kalamayuto <laughs> Sky
Siku zote sinano inakaga mbali na puto